Amen. Thank you, Randy. We are continuing in our study of the parables, and we come to one of the parables that is the most recognized, one that you've probably heard before on several occasions, and so I, I don't know that I'll be able to share anything uh, totally new, but my hope is that as we read and study this parable once again, that God might shine the light of his grace towards us as we study this text. Because in this text is the story of us and how our Father has rescued. We're walking through the parables. We reach this section where in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, God has been giving illustrations of his saving. Illustrations of how the Father redeems and rescues that which is lost. If you scan Luke 15, you'll find three particular parables that are mentioned, all three connected by the idea of lostness. Verses 1 through 7, you have the parable of the lost sheep that we studied last week. Verses 8 through 10, you have the parable of the lost coin. And now in verses 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son. I would like to submit to you this morning that the parable of the prodigal son would probably be more correctly titled the parable of the prodigal God. Because in this parable, what stands out above all else is the seemingly reckless grace that God exhibits. My hope is to walk us through that and to show you that this morning. The context of this parable is seen in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We're told that tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's the problem with Jesus that the Pharisees have. Jesus receives sinners. This makes Jesus scandalous to them. And I want to help you this morning that God is still acting with just that scandal today. I want to show you three particular segments of this text. Now, I want you to know that, that since Brother Bob preached last, uh, I, I heard that he got you to the restaurants before the Methodists got out, that, that he was preaching and his preaching was so succinct that he got you to lunch early. And I've been trying over the last several weeks to follow up with my brother and to try and keep my sermons to around 30 minutes. And I believe I've done a pretty good concerns three people, the two sons and the father. And I want you to consider the younger son first. And in the younger son, we're going to see a picture of the price of our sin. The younger son demands his father give him his inheritance early. He's not asking, he is commanding. And just so you know, in the first century when this story was told by Jesus, there would have been an uproar over that. 
because the inheritance was only to be given at the father's death. Jared Wilson, who wrote the book Storytelling God, which I have encouraged you to buy and to read, it's his uh, walk through the parables, some of the parables that Jesus teaches. He says this, the younger son is basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead. The younger son communicates to his father that he loves the inheritance over his father. He seems to want to take the place of the father and begin to dole out what is needed. Now the original hearers of this story would surely see the defiant sin of the younger son. This is a shameful act against the father. And I want you to notice that we're told in verse 12, after the younger son asks for his inheritance, we're told the father divided his property between them. The father gives him what he demands. Now that in and of itself is amazing. Because any of the fathers in this room, if your child had come to you demanding their inheritance, you'd have told them to get on. <laughs> The father here in this parable gives the younger son what he asks for. With his inheritance, what does the younger son do? We're told that not many days later in verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. In my brain, this is like going to Vegas. He asks dad for the inheritance, he gets it, sells everything he has, loads up the car, drives out to Vegas, and puts it all on black. He's found in a far country squandering his inheritance. That which he did not earn, he gives away. And the fact that he goes off into a far country, that's more than just a geographical comment. We see in the next few verses the price of the younger son's sin. Here we see the first hint of separation from the family. That he has gone into a far country. He has cut himself off from the father's house. He's found squandering his inheritance. He's found wasting that which the father generously gave him. And he wastes it all, we're told, in reckless living. That is the word prodigal. The word reckless is the word prodigal, hence the title. He wastes it all in prodigal living. He is found uncontrolled, living carelessly and sinfully. The goodness of the father is being disdained and exploited. The younger son is showing no love for his father, but rather condemnation for him. And after spending it all, guess what happens? Verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Just so happens that after he has squandered everything he has and everything the Father has given him, he finds himself bankrupt, destitute. He has nothing, and a famine has crept in. All of a sudden, the one who used to have it all now finds himself in desperate need. What does he do in his despair? We're told that in verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
do I have to explain to you why that's a bad situation? I don't know of any situation where being with the pigs is a good thing. But not only is he found there with the pigs, he is found having to feed the pigs. The pigs have it better than he does. Sin is so terrible. It separates us from the Father. It leaves us unclean and defiled before the Father. Not only is he feeding the pigs, not only is he dwelling with the pigs, but we're also told in verse 16 he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. The one who had it all, the one who had the Father's love and the inheritance promise squandered it all in sin and defilement and finds himself in desperate need, unable to help himself with no one to attend to him and no one to give him anything. I think my battery's about to go out. I'm going to... This is scandalous stuff because no Jew would be found near, let alone feeding pigs. It was the picture of how great he has fallen in his sin. It's meant to be a picture of complete brokenness and desperation. It's meant to be the picture of one who could not fall any further in his sin. And oh, how he longs to be fed like the pigs, that he might be nourished with what they ate. I want you to see the first part of this parable tells us the plight of the younger son, the seriousness of his sin, and the price that is paid for his sin. But number two, we see the glory of the father. The focus turns from the younger son to the father. It says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He finally came to himself. I love that phrasing. It means he finally came to his senses. It means that the younger son finally sees his sin for what it is. He's no longer lured by it. He's no longer deceived by it. He looks at his sin and he comes to himself. He knows he is righteously wrong. That he has given away everything. He returns to that state of mind of knowing that he has been ignorant in his living and he has defiled his father's generosity. He sees his sin for what it really is, an offense against his father. And I want you to understand, I want me to understand this morning that that coming to yourself, that's an act of God. That's an act of the Spirit who causes us to finally see clearly for the first time how destructive our sin is and how real our sin is. Listen, it is the first gift of God that he shows us that we are sinners and our sin is desperate. Apart from God waking us up from our sinful blindness, we would continue to root around sitting in pig troughs, desperate for rescue. The younger son considers the provision of the father. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He doesn't just think of himself as the son. He says, even my father's hired servants are fed well. 
Oh, that I could just be one of his servants. I would be content. Verse 18, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. That's him expressing him coming to his right mind. He expresses that he has sinned against his father and against heaven, against God. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Even the younger son realizes that his sin has separated him from his family, from his father, and he doesn't deserve to be allowed back in the family. He deserves to be treated like a hired worker. That's how desperate his sin is. That's how completely ruined and destroyed he is by his brokenness. And in that state, he sees the need he has for his father. He must go to him. Why? Because there is no other place to go. No one else will give him anything. And he prepares for what he's going to say. I love it. He acts, he rehearses the speech he's going to give to his father when he arrives home. You've done this before. Either as a child when you were supposed to be in by a certain hour and you didn't get there in time and on your way home you begin to rehearse what you're going to say to your parents. You begin playing out in your brain. What questions will they ask me? How will I respond to them? You also know this if you're a spouse and you know you're coming home and you're going to have some explaining to do. You start preparing ahead of time what you're going to say. You rehearse the speech. And here the younger son prepares himself for what he will say to his father. Verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He hasn't said that yet. He's playing that out in his mind. He's not claiming to be innocent. He's claiming to be completely guilty. And he sees what he deserves for his rebellion. He deserves to no longer be called his father's son. That is one who recognizes the depths of his sin. He knows the separation his sin has caused and he knows he deserves to be treated like a worker. He's in debt to the father in a way that he can't repay. But that's what he deserves is punishment. And he comes to his father. Notice what he says in verse 20. He arose and came home. No. He arose and came to his father. This is not the story of the prodigal coming home. It's a story of the prodigal coming to his father. The one whom he has offended. This is the picture of a lowly, contrite heart that I believe David speaks of in Psalm 51. It's a humility that God alone brings. He comes to his father. And as he's traveling to his father... We're told in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. This is not the reception that one would anticipate the prodigal son receiving. As he's traveling home to his father, he doesn't even have the chance to get all the way to his dad. 
His father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. The son wasn't even close enough to his father to begin to offer up his repentance to him. The son hadn't even had the chance to start the speech he had rehearsed. The father is found giving grace before the son can even begin to repent. The father pursues his son. In our day and age, this may not mean much to us. In the first century, when they heard this story from Jesus, it was radical. Because no father, no older man, no man of nobility would ever run anywhere. The father running would be seen as a shameful thing. You get the picture with me? Who deserves the shame in this story? And yet the father puts himself in the place of having shame cast upon him because he runs to his son. This is prodigal grace. Now I want to be careful with this because the word reckless doesn't have many positive connotations in our English language. When we hear the word reckless in English, it usually carries about negative thoughts. But I do not believe that's the way it's used of the father here. The father is reckless towards his son in dispensing grace to him. He is extravagant when he pours it out. That is truly reckless love. Now, this reckless doesn't mean that God is taking a risk when he pours out grace as if he doesn't know the future and he's not sure how the son will receive it. This has nothing to do with any negative on part of the father. It shows the extravagant, overwhelming grace that he pours out for one who is truly unworthy for such a thing. The younger son repents to his father, and rather than receiving condemnation, he receives the grace and love of his father. The, the younger son finds his father once again supplying all his needs. Primarily, the younger son's need for the father. The son doesn't need the fattened calf. The son doesn't need the robe. He needs the Father's grace. That's reckless love. In Jared Wilson's book, he shares this quote from another book, one that was written by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And Jared Wilson says this about this text. 
He says, quote, and here is something peculiar about the parable of the lost son, which is very often called the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal is an adjective referring to profuse expenditures, reckless abundance, a sense of wastefulness. This applies, of course, to the lost son as he squandered his property in reckless living, according to verse 13. But as Tim Keller has helpfully shown us, it is the father in the story who is the most prominent prodigal. He is wasting his affection on his disgraced son, lavished his goodness upon the one deserving of his condemnation. And so Keller says the image of the gospel we receive in the parable of the prodigal son is actually the pro of the prodigal God who loves us with reckless abundance, who zealous for his own joy is jealous for us, and who with his son generously gives us all things. The focus of this story is not so much the younger son, but on the father who gives his grace with reckless abandon on those who don't deserve it. And there's a great celebration in the family when the younger son returns, when he repents and is welcomed by the father, a celebration breaks out. And that moves us to the final section, which is the focus on the older brother. Because we're told In verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drawn near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh, how that music and dancing must have ticked him off. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, meaning the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. Notice what the father does. Just as the father responded to the younger son, so the father responds to the older. And his father came out to him. Who's doing the pursuing? The father is. And the father entreated him. But the older son answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, notice he doesn't say my brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you've killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother is captured by unfairness. He cannot fathom why the father would exercise grace and love towards the rebellious younger son. He believes the father is being reckless in the way he gives out his forgiveness. And this unfairness is brought to light particularly when the older son views his faithfulness to the father. He says, I've done what you've said. I've been here all along. Where is my goat? As such, he refuses to celebrate the younger son's return home. 
because he deems the younger son unworthy of being rescued. He says, you never gave me a young goat. What is he saying? What's the older brother implying? Dad, you owe me. And that picture of self-righteousness stands out against the backdrop of undeserved grace the father gives the younger brother. Consider the context of the parable again. Who is Jesus answering? Remember in verse 1 and 2, we were told that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled against Jesus, saying, this man receives sinners and tax collectors. Jesus connects the younger son to the sinners and tax collectors. Those are the one whom the father pursues and calls them back to himself. Those who are the rebellious, those who are the reckless, those who have sinned and separated themselves from the Father by their own actions. Jesus is saying that the sinners and the tax collectors that the Pharisees and the scribes look down upon are the very ones Jesus said he came to save. And the Pharisees saw themselves as the ones who were worthy of praise and celebration because they were the ones who always adhered to the law and never turned their back on God. Yeah, right. They saw themselves as fully devoted to the law. They deserved the favor of God. They deserved the goat. They were owed salvation. God owed them rescue because they had always been with him. While the younger brother recognizes his brokenness and neediness, the older brother is bitter and self-righteous. They did not believe they needed the grace of God. And in this parable, Jesus connects the father to God, that all have rebelled against him, whether you're the younger brother or the older, both needed the father, both needed grace, and rather than giving God the glory he deserved, they scorned his good gifts and they desired to be God themselves, and those who come to him with a lowly contrite heart of repentance like the younger brother, they are the recipients of reckless, prodigal love and grace from the Father. Not because they deserve it. Not because they were deemed worth it. But specifically because they didn't deserve it. Can I wrap this up with one more insight Jared Wilson shares in his book, The Storytelling God, an interesting point that I had not thought of until I read the book. And this is what he points out. He points out there's a theme throughout the Old Testament. And the theme throughout the Old Testament is God is found blessing the younger brother over the older brother. We see it in the relationship between Cain and Abel, between Jacob and Esau, between Joseph and his brothers. And Jared Wilson highlights 
from these parables of the lost sheep, coin, and son that what is truly missing and needed throughout the Bible is the good, righteous, older brother. Because no one goes looking for the younger brother. The older brother is not concerned that his younger brother has gone astray. He's bitter that he's found any type of grace from the Father. And what the scriptures point us to over and over again is the need for a righteous older brother who will go after the younger. And finally, in the gospel of Jesus, we see the righteous older brother. Jesus is the good older brother who goes looking for the lost sheep. Jesus is the good older brother who sweeps and sweeps until he finds the coin that has been lost. Jesus is the good older brother who goes looking for the younger brother till he finds him. Not because the younger brother deserves to be found, but because God showers his love and compassion on those who are deemed not worthy. All throughout the Old Testament, God is preparing us for the entrance of the righteous older brother who will finally go after the one who is lost. And rather than standing and, and preaching his own self-righteousness, he empties himself and seeks after the one who is lost. In Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to see today the prodigal God who gives mercy and grace in reckless abundance. Not because we are deserving of it, but because he is the righteous father who loves to rescue his children. From this parable we see two sons and a father. Both sons need rescue. One from the depths of his brokenness and neediness. The other needs rescue from his self-righteousness. And both are pursued by the same Father who doles out grace in abundance. So whether you're the younger son or whether you're the older, I want you to see this morning that God pursues you with his love. And we know he pursues you because he gives us his word. And I'm preaching to you right now. And in doing so, I believe the Father is pursuing you by his word. That he is calling you not just to heaven. He's calling you ultimately to himself. That what you need more than anything is not primarily heaven. What you need more than anything and what I need more than anything is the love of our Father. 
And whether you are the younger son who has gone astray and has been caught up in, in dreadful sin that you feel like you can't shake and that leaves you so far away from the grace of God he could never rescue you, I want you to see that no depth of his sin could keep the father from rescuing his sinful son. No depth of sin from the younger brother could ever overshadow the depths of the grace and mercy of his father. And if you're the younger brother who has been caught in sin, I plead with you from the word of God to respond to the pursuing of the father, to draw to him, to turn away from the ugliness of sin and to behold the beauty of God, to trust him. And if you're the self-righteous older brother, I want you to see the pursuit of the father towards you, that he beckons you to himself, that you might not stand on your own good deeds, that as we saw in the video, your works would not need to speak for you but that you would rest, not trying to earn God's love, but rest in his reckless love already given through his son's death on the cross. Romans 5.8 tells us the greatest picture of the love of God for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us whether you're the younger brother caught up in rampant sin or you're the self-righteous older brother, I am urging you and me by the word of God to turn away from sin and to respond to the loving pursuit of the Father that we would draw near to him and repent and find his love and mercy poured out on us. We need that this morning. I urge you to respond to him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time we have to study. And God, I pray from your word what we would see more than anything is that we are all sinners. And God, every single one of us stands deserving of punishment for eternity for our sin. God, we deserve your wrath against our sin. And Father, there is no amount of justification we can bring to you to explain away our reckless lives. And Father, we come to you this morning asking you not to treat us as we deserve to be treated, but rather to have mercy on us, to have grace towards us, that God, whether for the first time or for the millionth time, you might forgive us of our sin and cleanse us through the blood of your son. And Father, I pray that what you'll find in this room are plenty of younger brothers who have sinned against you, who have been welcomed back by you, whom you have rescued by your grace 
Lord, let us be examples to a lost world of just how beautiful your grace is to us. And Father, in this room are countless older brothers who have been rescued from the depths of their self-righteousness. And Lord, both give you glory in the fact that you rescue not those who are deserving, but those who are in need. And so, Father, I pray that you'll do that again this morning. Lord, I pray if there is someone in this room today who believes that they have sinned so much that they cannot ever be forgiven by you. God, I pray you'll help them to see that your grace is far greater than any sin they could ever commit. Lord, that they might respond to you. They might see the ugliness of their sin and the beauty of your holiness. And that they might turn to you and find the forgiveness they've so been longing for. And Father, if there's anyone in this room who, like the older brother, is trying to earn your favor, who is trying to earn salvation through their deeds. God, if there's anyone in this room who's trying to keep your favor by their own efforts, Lord, I pray that you would show them that what they need is not to do better and try harder. What they need is to rest in the finished work of your son, Jesus that he's already done everything needed to secure us until the day we meet you. Help us to rest, God, not in our own efforts, but in your beautiful grace given to us. Oh, Lord, draw your children to yourself. Do it this morning in this place. Draw them to your beautiful. God, they might see you as the glorious king and they might worship you for the rest of their days. Oh, Father, do a work in this place, in our own hearts. Help us to respond to you. Thank you for your grace. May you be glorified. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.